Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 211 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here, as always, with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. You ready to take some more listener questions? It's my favorite time of the quarter. The quarter. (laughs) So last week, we took four of your listener questions. And as we prepared for this one, we actually saw a theme emerge, specifically in our Facebook group. People had a lot of questions about vacation. We are recording this right at the at the precipice of summer. People are looking <laughs> ahead. But even if you're listening to this other times a year, you know, the holidays bring up a lot of travel questions. So we actually are making today's episode vacation and travel themed listener questions. I'm excited. Me too. It's one of my favorite topics. Yes, me too. So all of these came from members of our Facebook group. And if you guys are curious about how that works and are interested in joining our Facebook group, we will link up in the show notes how to do that. But it's such a supportive community and I love seeing people give each other advice. And um, so all the questions you'll hear today came from that group. And so we so appreciate, especially when I say, hey, can you record your voice and send that in? And they do yeah. it. So thank yes, you Yes, I love that too. We, and we really prefer to hear your voices. We really want to hear you guys talk. I'm getting, it adds a lot. I'm getting kind of bold. I just ask people to do it now. People yeah email in a great question. I'm like, well, this is great, but But, could you record it in your own voice? Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? 
I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code themomhour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, our first question comes from Jesse. I love this question. Um, it has to do with kind of family culture, and which is one of my favorite topics, but more specifically vacation. So we will um, listen to Jesse's question and then come back and answer. Hey, Megan and Sarah, this is Jesse. I'm a longtime listener. I'm wondering how you both established a vacation culture in your families and maybe how it has or hasn't changed over the years. What I mean by that is how did you decide as a family that you would maybe always go to the same place year after year or whether you'd switch it up from year to year or maybe vacations are just always about visiting family and not necessarily even going someplace super fun or exciting. Is that something that you planned for? Did it just happen organically? For example, growing up, my family vacations were always to the Outer Banks and Colonial Williamsburg, and that was great because we had our favorite restaurants and our favorite beach spots, and it was really special to go back to the same places over and over, but that also means I've never been to Disney World or the Grand Canyon, so I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts or advice on that. Thanks for all you do. Bye. Okay, Jesse. So I just have to say I love that you're asking this question because I know that there, you know, you're, you're speaking to two things. First of all, establishing the family culture around a vacation and then like, then what that restricts from you, like what then you can't do. So there's some tension there. Um, I personally am one of those people who romanticizes the idea of a family going back to the same place every year Mm. over and over and over. I feel like that's kind of one of those longstanding traditions that is getting lost in a way. Um, I know like among when I was a kid, I feel like it was common for a while and then became less common and maybe it's becoming more common again. I don't know, Sarah, what is your take on that? Yeah. I, first of all, I love this question too. I feel like Jesse, she says she's a longtime listener. She must know us because these are the types of <laughs> things we love to talk about. What does it mean to have a family culture around vacations? It, it made, this question made me think, you know, I don't know if I've noticed trends so much as, uh, I, I, what I notice in our community is people having family 
spread out and having multiple step families and and large interwoven connected and kind of complicated families. And so many of the questions we're going to answer today really come back to this, like, what is your your immediate family, the family you're raising and the priorities there. And then this extended web. And I know for me growing up where we went, whether it was repeat or something new, it often had to do with where the extended family was. And then that's how, that's how my, my own kids are experiencing it. So I don't know. There's a lot there. So what I've noticed, and this is purely anecdotal, which could have a lot to do with where I live. I think it has actually quite a bit to do with where I live. But when I was growing up, there was definitely like, um, the idea of taking like your Michigan vacation where you'd go to this resort every single year, or you'd go to this, like these same cabins every single year. And people really did that. And then I think like in the nineties, maybe um, it became more of the thing to like take your family individually on fancier vacations. Mm. So like, like Disney world or a cruise or um, to the Bahamas or whatever, like stuff that I didn't see really happening around me when I was a kid, like in the late nineties, early two thousands started to be more of a thing. Now, that could just be because I was exposed to different people Mm. in that time of my life than I had been growing up. Um, But I feel like there's kind of like a, like people are trying to get back to that. So I guess what I would say is, first of all, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, It could be both. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you're going to like, I always think of it as if I choose to do one thing, what am I not doing Mm -hmm. by doing that thing? So if my vacation is always, you know, going to be centered around extended family. And since I have an enormous extended family, that is just easy for me mm-hmm. and usually affordable um, and just simple and satisfying in a way that I like vacations to be. That mean that, that might mean that only, you know, every five years or like we went to the Grand, uh, not the Grand Canyon. She said the Grand Canyon. Sorry, we went to Yellowstone. We did that once yeah. when Jacob was 18 years old. Like, and it took us that long to get there because right. it just wasn't something that was a priority for us. So it's not that you can never do those big ones. I just think there's always a trade-off. Um, so it is kind of about your family's culture, about your family's, like what are your priorities, your budget? And then also keeping in mind as well, as the kids get older, there might opportunities to do some of those things might come up in a different way Yeah. that aren't, you know, like just because you don't go to Disney World when they're three, five, and seven, does it mean you'll never go? Yeah. Um, yeah. So sorry. I, I feel like I'm rambling. No, but, no, yeah. actually, you kind of helped me set up for how I want how I wanted to talk about this. It reminds me of when we talk about holiday traditions changing mm. over time. So I have a couple of things to say about the way kids remember stuff. Just as a reminder, they don't remember anything till they're like five. So you yeah. have some time, first <laughs> yep. of all, to figure this out. And those vacations in the little years, oh, we're going to talk about this more with other questions, but they're hard. So if yeah. you're in the little years, just give yourself a pass and do whatever's easiest or whatever you have to do. You maybe have like a whole bunch of family weddings in this time of your life. Like you have time, the kids aren't going to start to remember what they do every year for until they're, you know, grade school age. It's funny. My parents had a place in Tahoe for a few years that they thought might be like, this is the place we go every summer. They shared it with another family variety of reasons ended up selling it. And my kids were just at the age where they had remembered going there. And it's it's a magical place. Megan, you and I almost wanted to go there for a retreat. It's so beautiful. And my kids like, I mean, they cried. They were heartbroken. I almost cried. I almost cried when it went away. I totally understand why my parents (laughs) sold it. And in fact, we now, we go to their home in Santa Barbara all the time and that's our repeat place. But it was the, the timing was funny because my kids were like, six and eight and the older two. And they had enough summers that they remembered and they were like, we're not going there anymore. So that's kind of funny. So number one, you have time to kind of figure out what it is. And number two, like you were saying, 
the thing that you feel like happened every year as a kid, we t- we've talked about this with the holidays. It maybe didn't happen every year. It maybe happened right. every other year or a few times. It still ha- will have that feeling of familiarity. So I like what you're saying about it can be both. We do Rhode Island every other year. It's really far. It's really expensive, but it had it already. I'm only, you know, 11 years into motherhood. It already has a very established pattern and we go back to the same places and it's only every two years, which is a long time in between, but we're already building that repeat culture and I love it. And then we've had one-off things too. We're doing San Francisco this summer, just the five of us, and that will be a one-off. We're not going to do that kind of thing every year. So I I like both too, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, what you said about kids um, not remembering anything till they're five and, and remembering things. Let's just kids remember things wrong. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and they typically remember things through a much rosier lens yeah. than maybe actually like I will say I went on a, a fantastic vacation the summer that my dad and stepmom were divorcing. And now that I look back, I'm like, <laughs> oh, my dad didn't go on that vacation with us. I didn't even notice because I was having so much fun. I think that like now looking like later, I'm kind of like piecing it all together. Yeah. But at the time I was like, oh, we're camping at this cool amusement park thing. Like, and it was really, really fun. So just kind of like when we moved into this house about a little over a year ago, my kids loved the new house. They're like, oh, it's so like clean and new and we love it. It's so amazing. And now all they talk about is the old house and how great it was. So just like, they're always going to be skewed. Um, I really think it's, it's fine to get, the kids input, but really the parents are the ones who have to pay for it, uh, organize it, logistically make it happen and all those things. So I just like we talk about how you set the tone in your house. Mm -hmm. I think you can set the tone. You and your partner can set the tone for vacation culture. Um, and yeah, maybe it is like when you have a little extra jingle in your pocket and maybe some extra time you go on that fancy thing once every five years. Right. Well, and one more thought just on vacation culture. I think it could be more than just where you go and at at what frequency. I think we, I'm having so much fun with the ages my kids are now because they're so much easier to travel with. We traveled so much when they were tiny and it was so hard. And I'm still in this phase where it's almost a a delight that it's so easy. Um, And I'm just noticing the ways we travel together, the ways we stay in a hotel room, we are Mm. developing a family culture of traveling together, regardless of where we're going. And that will start to feel like this is how the Powers family is on the road. Like I I think I've told the story about how Allegra one time in the airport, she goes, Oh, I get it. In the airport, daddy's in charge. <laughs> Meaning like, <laughs> I love it. In the rest of life, all other things, mom's in charge. But oh, I get it. Yeah, dad's in charge. So, so those little things will start to just emerge and you are building your culture, your family culture around vacations, even even as you figure out where to go. And then one day, Sarah, your kids will all be old enough to be in it like in their own hotel room. Oh yeah. And it'll change again. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. Well, I hope we answered that question for you. I feel like we could do like a whole episode or write a book on that or something. I love that question. And Jesse, my guess is that if you're even thinking of it or thinking about it, you're already kind of doing it. That's what I think about being intentional. More thoughtful than most. Yeah. Yeah. And intentional. Yep. I love it. Okay. So we are going to next hear from Lindsay, who is from down here in Southern California. Um, And she's got a very good, almost controversial question. And actually this relates to family culture. So let's listen. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Lindsay from California, and I'm wondering how you feel about taking your kids out of school for a family vacation. Currently, my daughter is in preschool, and we are trying to take advantage of being able to travel any time of the year that we want right now. Once she's in elementary school, my husband and I don't plan to take vacations that would require her to miss school. But it seems like it's very common for a family to go on vacation during the school year and just take the kids out of school for a week. 
when I was growing up, it was rare for someone to miss school for a family vacation, but it seems like this has changed over the years. I'm curious to hear your thoughts and how your families have handled this. Okay, so I, I think that we both have an opinion about this, Sarah. I want to point out one thing that I think is so interesting that Lindsay said um, and that I think illustrates the difference depending on like in perception, depending on where you live or maybe some other factors is that she said she thought it was common, um, less common when she was growing up for people to miss school for a family vacation. And now it seems more in my life. I feel like it's flip flopped. I like think in my life, I, pe- I felt like people were very casual about missing school for vacation when I was a kid. And now it's become harder. I think What's your thought I'm ag- I agree with you actually. Yeah. And I think if I, if I'm remembering where Lindsay's from, I think she's from not that far from me, like Orange County or LA County. So she and I are from the same general area. And I also grew up in California. I, I'm not sure if it was a huge change, but if I had to pick, I think I would agree with you, which is, I think I remember it more as a kid. I know my parents took us out for, we had a, a for a while, we would go skiing up in Oregon with family friends and would take us out for a week. I remember doing homework. Um, yeah. But, okay, so I guess, what's the, what's, what is the question she is asking? What are our thoughts on this? My thoughts are, I lean toward not doing it very often and reserving it only for when it really makes the most possible sense. And so far, we have never done it for a long vacation. I'm not, that's not to say I wouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. In particular, if my kids were gaining an experience that I felt was equal to or even better than school in some kind of a cultural or enriching way. I mean, if it's, if it was a vacation we could do any time of year to go sit on a beach or go on a cruise, that would feel a little, I would feel a little bad about that. I think there'd have to be a a really good reason. Um, But if I had an opportunity to take my kids to London or to the Ashland Shakespeare Festival or something where I felt like it was a cultural thing as a family that was going to be almost like road schooling or homeschooling. I'm not, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. Um, it hasn't come up the times I've done it. And I will just confess here have been a one day to Disney to beat the crowds. I have done that. Um, but mm-hmm. one day, not a week. And, um, Allegra, we took her to DC and again, we went to all the museums. So I guess I don't come down hard and fast one way or the other. We do have families at our school who will take an entire week for skiing yeah. and, and the kids do independent study, which means the schools get funded. I don't think teachers like it. I do think there's people who look down on it. Um, but I, I don't know that I have like, I can't come down firmly in either camp. How about you? Um, I'm going to tread really lightly <laughs> here. So when I, and the reason I asked if you felt like it was different when we were growing up is because the world I came from, I belonged to my parents and I remember having like, and, and they would decide they were the deciders. Yeah. Right. And I remember having fights with my dad because there was some important family thing going on and I was in a sport and I had to miss the sport or whatever it was. Like that was like a head to head battle that mm-hmm. we would have sometimes about these things. And his stance was like, sorry, family first school is second. Uh, it's important or school or whatever activities you mm-hmm. signed on for are secondary. And this is just, that's just the way it is. And like, it would never have occurred to either my mom or my dad to feel even a little bit bad right. about any of this. Like they were it, just, it just in charge. generationally, yeah. it was a different thing. School was different then. There were more, there was more opportunity to take kids out. I think um, there were fewer days of the year that we were in school. And I think it was more common. Like I lived in a place where kids took off for deer hunting season. They'd be gone. I mean, the half the school would clear out mm. for like, I don't know, the better part of a week, there'd be nobody there. Now mm. that wasn't an official school vacation, but it was kind of like allowed. Um, or people would add on 
you know, an extra day on either side of a three day weekend or whatever. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Then I come into this world where things are, are really different. Like, I think that the importance we put on for many, many reasons, the importance we put on having kids in school as much as humanly possible has increased because the teachers are under more pressure. The, the schools are under more pressure. Like everybody's just under more pressure to pack more in to less time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I waver really hard between respecting that and saying, that's not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I, like, do you understand? So it's not yeah. like I'm, I don't want to disrespect anybody, but I also don't want to be disrespected because I make a choice for my family either. Um, I've talked to teachers all over the place on this. Like I've talked to some who really don't care as long as you give them adequate notice um, and help your kid in some way, stay on top of things while they're gone. I've had some that are like, well, you know, we have to be here. So you should too, basically like that's the attitude. And I'm like, well, there's a reason I'm not a teacher. So I guess my, no, (laughs) I'm going to interrupt real quick. I know we've talked about this, but I can't remember what you said in Michigan. Do the schools get paid when the butts are not in seats? So our schools don't get money when the kids aren't there as long as, and on the count day, there's, so there's like a count day, I think twice a year. Oh, oh, really? They come in and literally count <gasps> the kids. Oh, that's very and different. Every, yes. And everybody knows. So everybody knows um, when the count days are. Like they, they like tell you, like it's the count day. It's really important. Don't have this be the day you blow off. You go to blah, Disneyland. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you go to Disneyland. Yeah. Um, and no, I wouldn't miss a count day if I could, if I could miss it or if I could help it. And then I think they average it out. Okay. Like, you know, if it happened to be a day where there was like a flu epidemic, they'd probably reschedule, but it's kind of an average. Like they look at that and go, okay, well, this is about what we can expect to see on a typical Tuesday. Um, so ours is day by day from the way I understand it, which is that why is really interesting. Cause which is why a excused, lot of administration. Yeah, really admi- yeah. And excused absences are really important for that reason. And then it's really important to go on independent study. If you're going to miss more than two days for any reason. And, and yeah. they, you know, that includes a vacation. If you're going to do it, then you can, um, you know, submit a little bit of paperwork for independent study and the schools get funded. So I know our school. Yeah, that's very different. I don't even think we don't have a thing called independent study. That's not a thing. Yeah. It's literally you go to the teacher and say, do you have work my kid can do? And right. they say, sure. It feels a little silly, to be honest, when it's two days. I've done it for yeah. two days before, but I've done it because I want my school to get money. I don't want to. Yeah. I, I understand it's a little thing we can do so that that absence shows up as as independent study right. and they get funded for that day. But the, it almost, then I wonder if it creates more work for the teacher. Cause it feels like then yeah. the teacher, I don't care if my kid misses two days and, and my kids really have really good attendance. So it's not a, it's not a, we don't have a chronic illness or anything where I wouldn't mind them just missing the two days, but I usually do the independent study because I'm a one and it feels like the thing I'm supposed to do. And and I do think from a funding perspective, it helps. But then I, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, I could have just created a bunch more administrative work for the teacher, which I feel bad about. So I don't yeah. know. Well, and I'll tell you like for myself, well, first of all, I bet you when they make their budgets, they probably take into account that people are going to miss school. Right. So you want them to get the money, but like, it's not like you're personally blowing the school's budget. If, <laughs> if you choose not to do like, that's just right. a fact of life. Just like I, I owned a store, I would, you know, count on there being slow days. It's mm-hmm. just, that's business. And that I know school's not a business, but like, that's how budgets I'm assuming are set. That is a very different thing. But I've only taken my kids out of school for a vacation. I think a total of three times or four. I can't remember which it was. And it was because every other year we used to go to Florida. Um, John's mom has a place down there. And so every other year, the week of conferences, because then there would be two half days 
we would take them out for four days and we would do, we'd go down to Florida. We would visit his mom. We would go to Disney or whatever. And then we would come back. Now, was it cold? Like, could I argue that I could have gone to Disney World at spring break when literally everybody else does and it costs more to fly there? I guess I could have. Um, I could have gone in the summer when it's miserably hot and everybody else is there. But I, I just didn't. Like, it was fine. It was okay. Like, I was okay with that. Um, and one time, I really feel like I boned it. I, the first time I went, I was so busy pulling together all the schedules and everything else that I forgot to notify. I can't remember whose teacher it was, but like there was one teacher I just totally forgot to tell, like didn't tell her ahead of time. I don't even think I called the kids in because I thought it was taken care of. Right. And that was like, oh man, I really screwed that up. So that's on me. That was a, a boneheaded move and totally my bad. But every other time I would let everyone know ahead of time. And, um, and like if they had homework, I would make sure they did it. But most of the time the teachers was like, you know, you know what? It's conference week. It's going to be slow week anyway. Just right. go have fun. And right. usually they were very laid back about yeah. it. So I, I would agree. I've had teachers um, say, you know, time, fam these experiences and family times are worth it. I think, yep. I think we've talked about this when it comes to school. When, when teachers see a, a general um, effort toward partnership and doing the best thing for your kid and their education, that those are brownie points you kind of build up over time. Yeah, it's so like that social if you capital, like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you if you kind of sheepishly, I'm like, and we're going to Disney on Friday. Right. They're like, exactly. go have fun. Yeah. That's been my that's been my experience. If it's something that you recklessly abuse, they probably yes. feel a little resentful. Just like yeah, and anything if you're else. and if you are making an effort to make sure that your kid's not the one who screws everything else up when he gets back. You know what I mean? Right. Like if you're making an effort to make sure that you're not causing a problem for that teacher, it might be a bit of an inconvenience and, um, and that sucks. I mean, and I do feel bad about that, but it's, there's life is full of inconveniences. I don't think, you know, I I've just seen so many attitudes. The teachers are human, yes. which means I agree with many and I don't agree with some. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think many of them have fantastic attitudes and some have stinky attitudes and I have gotten the gamut on mm -hmm this topic. And I would say 95% of them have been people like have been positions. I can go, yeah, I see what you're saying. I right. totally get that. And then 5% they're grumpy about it just to be grumpy about it. And yeah. like, that's unfortunate, but there's nothing I can do. Yeah. So maybe I didn't tread as lightly as I meant to, because you guys know we love teachers, but <laughs> did you mean to tread lightly there? I'd totally forgotten that. <laughs> I had meant to at the beginning, but I well, forgot. Um, again, I will say to Lindsay, what I said to Jesse, which is the fact that you're going into this while your daughter's in preschool thinking about it conscientiously and thinking, okay, travel's going to look different for us once she's in school full time. That's a hundred percent true. I hope no one listened to the last 10 minutes and think Megan and Sarah just pull their kids out of school all the yeah. time. You've done it three or four times in 18 years of school parenting. And right. I've done it like twice for a Disney day and two days for a Washington DC trip. So, right. um, I think just, just knowing that it is something to consider, but you and I are somewhere in the messy middle as we usually yeah. are. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. 
Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Sarah, I have a feeling you are going to have a lot to say about this next question Mm -hmm. because it has to do with one of your very favorite topics. (laughs) Sleep. Putting babies in closets? Oh, wait. uh, Was that a spoiler? Cribs, right? (laughs) You put the crib in the closet, right? You don't just throw a baby in a closet. Um, Yeah. Okay. So let's listen to this question from Lindsay. Hi, Sarah and Megan. This is Lindsay from the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. My question is about getting babies, well, a young toddler really to sleep while traveling and on vacation. My daughter is 18 months and over the course of the summer, we'll be going on three separate one week trips. And I have to say how she's going to nap and sleep is the number one thing that's stressing me out right now. She has been gently sleep trained. So right now she falls asleep independently, both for her nap and at night, but it's pretty much always in her crib, in her bedroom at our house. So I just don't know what to do when we're in a different environment. Do I, you know, try to follow the same routine and, and try to get her to fall asleep independently or do I just throw the whole routine out the window and do something completely different and just try to get her to sleep any way I can? Any tips, tricks, suggestions, or advice you have would be much appreciated because we all know that a well-rested toddler is essential to a good vacation. Okay, here we go. Um, I obsessed over sleep when traveling when my kids were toddlers. Probably too much looking back, um, but that was the mom that I was. And I think if I could boil Lindsay's question down to one thing is, do you stick with the routine from home if you're very regimented at home or do you just go with the flow? And I think my answer, what worked for me is somewhere in the middle. I think, um, especially now with the benefit of hindsight, what really worked is number one, being really aligned with my partner. Nothing 
everything was easier when we had some kind of a game plan that we were both um, had buy-in on. And there were times when I probably was way overly rigid about structure and schedules and sleep. And my partner was probably like, why, why are we trying to like, why are we going home in the middle of the day for a nap? Couldn't the baby just sleep in a stroller? And I'm sure we had some, some times when we were not as aligned, but everything is so hard when you travel with really little kids that getting on the same page and having some sort of a plan with your partner, I think is huge. Um, in terms of routine, like the actual putting a baby down to bed, I never found that I could replicate what we had at home. I remember trying, like I remember doing sink baths and things because I thought a bath had to be, if we did a bath at home, how would she ever know how to go to sleep without a bath (laughs) on the road? And I gave that up pretty quickly. And same with the number of books or how we, how we sat and nursed or how we read stories together. You don't have a rocking chair. Are we sitting in a bed? Are we like all of that kind of stuff? I think I let those, the trappings of that part of the routine, I let go pretty early, but the things I would hold on to were a relative bedtime. Um, you know, trying to not let a kid who goes to bed at seven every night, just stay up till 10 30 or 11. I think if you do that, you'd be surprised. Some kids could just go and go and go. And maybe you'll pay for it the next day and maybe not. Some kids are more sleep resilient than you think. I, I often think that those of us moms who don't give kids very many opportunities to be off schedule, we never know. We might actually have a super flexible kid, but we'll never yeah. know because we keep them on schedule. Where Megan, I bet when you look back, you can think of the kids who did really well just going with the flow and the other ones yep. who needed oh, uh-huh. more of that structure. So I, yeah. I did stick with, and I really stuck with naps for better or for worse. And for worse, I mean, I probably made myself and everyone around me crazy. That's the downside, but I made sure that toddlers got naps, but I, the, the later it got, when I remember my third kid, uh, my third baby, when she was two was summertime and kind of laughing because by that time the nap was in a different place every single day. It was on somebody's couch one day. It was in the car several times. It was in the ergo carrier on me. And I, I remember thinking like, hey, even I've come a little bit of a long way rather than stopping whatever we're doing and going back for a nap. But yes, I kept structure, but I didn't keep it down to the letter of um what do you, what do you, how do you even call that? Like the, the rituals, like the, the detail, yes, the rituals. The, the, yeah. yeah. But those, the details of the rituals too. Like the, yeah, it sounded like you were, you let the, you kept some of the ritual, but you let the details go. I think, I think I did. And I think um, the thing that's most familiar to a toddler is her parents and the people around her. So I think mm. you'd be surprised at the flexibility about, you know, this bed versus that bed. Some are more sensitive than others. I don't know. I'm going to let you talk for a little bit. I'm sure you have things well, to say. Well, I know I all because I was so different. Looking yeah. back, you're right. I can look at like there were three of my kids who did pretty much fine wherever we were. And two that I probably should have been more careful about sticking to a routine. Um some kind of routine. The nap part was important. So, but what I think is really interesting about this now, this is just me going on a tangent, but now that they're older, I can see how those, those tendencies have played out. Um, like William was so relaxed, but he was very, he was very routine oriented. The thing is he would just do it for himself. Oh like yeah. If I didn't do it for him. He was the kid. He would go find a chair <laughs> and a blanket and like climb under it and put himself to bed. Aww. And that's still how he is. Whereas like Owen really needs structure around him to make it happen. So they all need it, right? They all need yeah. a routine. They all want, they all need sleep and they all need routines and, and predictable stuff. But some kids are pretty good at kind of like creating it for themselves, um, finding a place to go be alone if they need to or whatever. And 
some kids really have to be. And it's no surprise that Owen and and Isaac were my most intense toddlers and were also the ones who really needed like outside structure to make that happen. They weren't going to do it for themselves. Yeah. And and it's interesting now to see Isaac has set his life up to be very structured. Mm -hmm. Like for him. Yeah. Like I think he knows on some innate level that that helps him. Yeah. Like having routines and he's like almost set up his life to be that way. So, so it's, it's yeah. so interesting. It is um, interesting. I want to s- talk about something Lindsay mentioned specifically in that she sleep trained her daughter at home, which means her daughter knows how to fall asleep independently without being rocked or nursed. Mm-hmm. And that's my interpretation. And should she stick with that on the road with an 18 month old? And I, I have to say that I, I was that person and I tried to stick with it in the early years. And I have, I have some regrets about that, to be honest. I have a few memories of letting an older baby, not quite an 18 month old, but letting babies fuss themselves to sleep when I knew they were having trouble because they were in a different environment. And in Mm. my mind, it was like, if I picked them up and rocked them to sleep, all the hard work we'd done, all of the structure I'd put in place, all of the skills they'd gained about self-soothing would go away forever. And looking back, I think I for me, not what Lindsay should do, but for me, the mom that I was, I wish I would have just picked up that baby and rocked them to sleep. They, they yeah. find that when you get home, it takes a little while, like a couple of days, but they, they get back to their good habits. Just like we and do. it would when, take anyway. No, even if you do it perfectly right. when you're on vacation, no matter what, you're going to have a transition when you get back Yes, because things are different and they're, they're, they've been jacked up for days. Like yes. they're every, every little thing in their neurons and their brains are like firing completely differently when you're yes. on vacation. So regardless, it's not like if you get back and they're a little off that you screwed up. No, not at all. And I think some of us have a tendency to think about sleep training as like the prevention of bad habits. I know Mm -hmm. I was like that. Like I want to prevent a kid who won't sleep on their own. I want to prevent a kid who, you know, needs me to always soothe them. But really sleep is about creating good, healthy habits. And I think most sleep experts would tell you that. And the good habits you've put in place will not get erased by vacation. Just like the way you eat on vacation. If I ate the way I eat on vacation and drank all the time, it wouldn't be a good thing. But I know, I know how to reset when I come home and the good habits you put in place will be there. So while you have to figure out how much of that to keep while on the road, I guess for myself, I look back and think I, I could have just bent all the rules and yeah. rocked those babies to sleep or let them sleep in our bed with us by, by mm-hmm. Violet. We did, <laughs> but yeah. it took me a couple of kids and I, I probably, you know, sat there listening to my baby cry themselves to sleep in times when I should have just been enjoying my vacation. Yeah. You so. should have been on vacation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess to the point about sleep experts, I think that in general, any expert, but especially I see this with sleep training is that there's very different philosophies about this. And some really do almost set up the mom and baby's adversaries Mm, yeah. because it is that like you're trying to like banish the devil out of your baby (laughs) and the devil is bad sleep habits. You know what I mean? Like what you said, and and you can, it becomes pretty clear. Like if, if you're reading a book and it makes like, it makes a baby not sleeping well sound like a punishment or like a, a, like a fate that or you are a, or something to be feared for the future. Like you're yes. going to ruin them for life. That's another yeah, thing. I think that's they probably do. a good sign that maybe that book is going to stress you out. And, and isn't the kind of, isn't the dynamic you need to be setting up yeah. around it. Agreed. In general, I will offer one more practical tip and that is white noise. Um, white noise is your friend for blocking out other. And also I think it helped me relax because I knew the baby couldn't hear 
what else was going on, whether we were in a little house or a hotel room. And now the white noise can be like an app on your phone. I used to yeah. like carry around a white noise machine. So that and like a familiar blanket from home, those types of things I do think help kind of create some of the same familiarity and also help you relax. But also it's just going to yeah. be different than it than it was at home. And it might be real bad for a few days, but you figure yeah. out it, once you've had a couple of really bad nights of sleep, you will know the adjustments you need to make. Maybe it's maybe it's going back to more structure or maybe it's throwing all the structure out the window and letting her sleep with you for a week and and, and, and trusting yeah. that you'll get back on track. So you'll know. I also, the, I have one, um, I guess, tip for people who are listening who whose baby or toddlers aren't super sleep trained. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go on vacation, because when you do that, then you kind of have to make a choice. You either are carting them around everywhere. We had a very relaxed um, approach to like routines and stuff. So at home it worked anyway. Cause like I was usually like, I didn't have anything else going on mm-hmm. and hope it was no big deal. If I put the baby down and it took a little longer or, you know, like they wanted to sleep someplace else. Like it just wasn't a big deal on vacation. It's a bigger deal. You might not be able to find a safe place for them to sleep. Like there's all these things that happen. And they're so, closer quarters with siblings yeah, and all that. Exactly. So often what would happen is that I would be the person who would be rocking the baby to sleep, laying down with the baby, nursing, whatever it was. And I, and one thing I didn't learn until pretty late in the game was to make that experience pleasant for me mm-hmm. so that it didn't feel like I was doing that. Like I'm patting your back. I'm patting your back, but I can go to sleep because yeah. I really want to get back to the, you know, to my yeah. vacation. When I decided to like have a book that I really liked mm-hmm. or something to, to listen, like a podcast to listen to, a glass of wine, whatever it was that put me like where I was still in vacation mode, even though I happened to be in this bedroom rocking this baby right now, it just made me more relaxed. And a, a relaxed mom means baby falls asleep. Babies yeah. know, toddlers know if you're waiting on edge for them to go to sleep so you can get back to the party. <laughs> they absolutely know, yeah. right? So. Yeah. So just make it pleasant on yourself. Uh, or maybe it's putting a baby in a stroller and going for a walk or yeah. something like whatever it is that feels vacationy and good to you. I love that. I really, really love that tip, actually. And that's that's so true. Your vacation is going to look different because you have an 18 month old. But it doesn't mean that those quieter times that have to be around naps and bedtime have to be miserable for you. So right. I love that. That's such a good one. OK, solved that one. Moving yeah, on. Solved. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to play a question from Amber, and um, we'll listen to that now. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Amber from Tacoma, Washington. And my question about vacation for you guys is, what are some contingency plans that you've had for when a child is just not having it? Um, Meaning maybe they're overstimulated. Maybe they're just off because they've been thrown out of their routine. Um, Maybe every gift shop you go into, they're gimme, gimme, gimme. I want this. I want that. Um, When a kid is melting down or having a behavior problem, what are some plans that you have in place or things you've done maybe on the fly um, to deal with that and still have an enjoyable vacation? (laughs) Thank you. I love your show and look forward to hearing your wisdom. Okay, Amber. So what all of the things you just described are going to happen. (laughs) Every single one of them is absolutely going to happen. Um, I don't know how old Amber's child or children are. um, But I guess the way I approached it was rather than like a contingency plan, it wasn't necessarily like a plan A, B and C, but more like um, let's get to the most important thing first. Like put that at like kind of front load the day with the thing that we really wanted to do, knowing that at any time some things are probably going to fall off the list. So not overloading your schedule for one thing, but also just being willing at any time to just cut bait and go. 
you do, know. Do you have any specific memories of like a cut bait moment? Oh. Not to put you on the spot, but. Well, <laughs> I mean, yes. One, one that comes to mind as I was in uh, on Mackinac Island, which is um, an island, obviously. It doesn't have any cars on it. So everywhere you go, you have to walk. There's no jumping in, like in an Uber if your kid flips out and you got to get back <laughs> to the hotel. And it, our hotel was typically like it's a place people walk around. And we had a day and this is when we had like five little kids. Like I know Clara was born, but she was a baby, like little. Um, it may have been like the, the fall after she was born. So she would have been five or six months old. And then Will was we always used to joke that he could turn his body into lead when he was mm. mad at us. He's like the most stubborn kid, but he could also make himself insanely heavy somehow. So anyways, everyone. So then Owen's like kind of in between and he was in a real stinker phase. And so there's all this activity. There's all these kids getting in and out of places. It's super stressful. We had spent the early part of the day at this fort, like an old timey, you know, historical yeah. fort where they do reenactments and stuff, which was really fun and cool. And then we decided to go, um, and I thought of this because of the, the gift shop gimme gimme's yeah. that um, Amber was talking about. We um, went into some, like, we were just kind of killing time. I don't remember what we were going to do next, maybe go to lunch or something. And we went into this gift shop and William really wanted, I want to say a fake cigar. I can't remember <laughs> now. It was either that or like a cap gun. Like, you know, when you go into those tourist yeah. shops, they always had the same stuff. It was one of those things. And we had already, like, I just didn't want to buy it from, I don't even remember why. Like they all had a budget they could spend on whatever. And I didn't want to get him this one thing. And so he just sat down on the floor <laughs> and I think he was, gosh, he must've been five going on six, <laughs> almost six. And we just, John and I just looked at each other and we're like, well, what are we going to do? We can't pick him up. Like literally he's made himself into magma. <laughs> like he's like, like molten mercury or something. Like he's. He's basically just turned into this boneless sack on the floor. He's not crying. He's not saying he's not screaming or doing anything. He's just not, he's just not leaving. He won't move. And so we're all kind of uncertainly looking around. The other kids kind of wandered out into the street. Like they're thinking, you know, mom and dad are about to lose it. So what, what do I do now? I want to say John had the stroller, like John had all the kids and Claire and the stroller out and the, on the sidewalk. And I'm just, I'm sitting there reasoning with him. And that doesn't do anything. Nope. And I'm, you know, finally I'm like, well, I guess I have to leave you. And he called our bluff and we got very far, like <laughs> very far, but there really wasn't, we didn't really have another choice. I mean, I, he, it was to the point where like, I can't remember what we did. I want to say one of us hit around the corner or something. We didn't leave our six year old, you know, and yeah. walk a mile, but it was like, we were making a point and he was making a point. And finally he kind of comes slumping out the door and, <laughs> and following us. Um, and then we went back to our hotel. And that was it for the day. And we you just, survived. We just, and we survived. We just knew that adding anything else on at that point was throwing good, you know, good vacation after bad. Yeah. Um, fun, I think fun there, for the sake of fun. fun that isn't fun, fun anymore. We went to, there was a pool, we went to the pool. It was fine. We mm -hmm. had a good time. We did venture back out at dinner. Like everyone got a few hours, everyone got a break, blah, blah, blah. So I guess the contingency for me is just, you know, just like, First of all, you can pick a simple thing. There's been times before when kids are losing their minds. We just go to a park and just sit at the park. Mm -hmm. And then the vacation becomes two hours at the park. Mm -hmm. There's times when we seek air conditioning mm -hmm. if it's because everyone's getting grumpy and hot. So I think you kind of have to read it in the moment, but I, there's just, you just can't control it, right? Like there's probably not a, there's not like a perfect plan that's going to save the day. Yeah. Um, when it's getting really bad, except most likely end it. Yes. Pull the plug. <laughs> Just pull the cord. 
Okay, so I don't think I even have that much to add because I think you covered it all. I think one thing, if Amber needs this encouragement, and I can't remember, several listeners asked questions that involved being on vacation with um, extended family. And while Amber didn't necessarily, I'm going to put it here because I think it applies. And it also applies to the last question about sleep. If you're in a situation where there's other, other than your partner and your other children, like other extended family who are involved, it's very easy to feel like you're parenting in public on steroids because it's not just public parenting with the strangers in the gift shop. It's also like your mother-in-law and yeah. you know, your parents and all these other people. And so you, you get to kind of set the tone for yeah. what the day looks like. And I think a lot of these meltdowns, they, they can't all be avoided, but a lot of them can be lessened in severity if we're kind of doing that thing where we're keeping an eye on everybody's mood and like kind of sensing who needs a snack and who needs a nap. And you don't have to be afraid to cut the day short, like you said, Megan, and you can do it proactively, I guess, if, if I have a point, that's what it is. Like you can, you can say, you know what, we're not up for the full day. We're going to take a separate car so that we can go back early if we need to. And I have done that so many times when there's extended family involved. And the nice thing is, I think people, we worry about being judged or being, you know, we don't want people to think we don't want to have fun or be with them. I think in general, people are more understanding than you think and probably care less than you think about exactly who, like they just want to enjoy their vacation as well. If you can't be there, it's like, okay, we'll see them tomorrow. Right. And, and. going back to what I said about if you can be on the same page as your partner and kind of be as a team, like, Hey, we're just going to do this this afternoon instead. So anytime there's that dynamic, I think the stakes just feel that much more emotional. Um, but I don't think you need to, you you don't need to be afraid of just saying, Hey, we're going to cut it short or we're going to opt out of that. And I don't think they'll hate you. I don't think it'll ruin anybody's vacation. So in case anybody needed to hear that. Agreed. All right, we are to our last question, and it comes from Kayla. Hi, Megan and Sarah. I was wondering if either of you have any advice about budgeting for vacation. When we decided that I'd stay home with our daughter, we had to make some sacrifices. We haven't had an actual vacation since 2014. I dream about going to the beach, but it feels like it's going to be a while. We haven't always been the most financially responsible, so we're working to pay down our debts and build up a savings. Vacationing anytime soon just seems like a splurge. But if we could find some strategies to make it a part of our plan, we may be able to swing it. How do you plan for vacation costs and such? Okay, Kayla, I know where you are. (laughs) Um, Because I'm also doing some digging and and financially getting myself in shape right now, which means like a real vacation, the way we think of a vacation vacation is not in the cards for me this year, which is not to say I'm not going to get away. And I think that maybe... That's where I'd start. I'm not sure where you live. Um, when you say you want to go to the beach, I don't know if that's like, you know, a flight, a day trip. Like, I don't know what that means for you. Um, and also, I don't know if how broadly you you think about a beach. So does an inland lake count as a beach? Does, you know what I mean? Right. Could it be something that is maybe not in a beautiful, well-known tourist beach area? I just think like when you are doing this kind of thing, there's so many ways to have a trip and there's so many ways to go on vacation. And it's not always like, like usually going past the most obvious choice and digging more gets you a better deal. So depending on how deeply you're cutting, I'm sure you can probably make something happen. Um, it's just, it's hard to say, cause I've been on vacations that have cost a couple hundred dollars and I've been on vacations that have cost thousands of dollars. And I, it's really, you know, like I don't plan when I'm making like my yearly budget and 
you know, January, I'm not like, okay, this year I'm going on four vacations and they're going to cost this much, like this much money each. I'm just not in a place right now where I can do that. So for me, it's more like this opportunity has come up to do this thing generally with another family. Cause I think there's ways to cut costs mm-hmm. to share, to share housing and things like that. Um, am I interested? Can I make it work? And then I take a look and see, but I don't know, like Sarah, do you have any thoughts about that? I'm thinking you guys yeah. probably cause you're income maybe is a little more stable. Maybe you guys do do that. We have planning ahead of time. Yes and no. So I've mentioned before, so many of our quote unquote vacations over the last 10 years have been, I mean, 95% of them have been travel to see extended family. And for the most part, we love that, but it's not quite the same as going on a capital V vacation with just our family where we're paying for accommodations. We're looking for fun things to do. That's where it really adds up. Often for us, flights are the most expensive. And so Mm -hmm. for that, we do have a separate bank account, a separate savings account that physically we move money in once a month. So we look at our annual travel budget and it's an estimate, um, but we know that we go to Rhode Island every other year. We know that we, you know, for a while we were going to Tahoe every year. We, um, kind of look at the 12 month cost divided by or look at the annual cost divided by 12 and start setting aside that for flights so that the flights themselves, which can be, it could be $2,000 to fly my family right. somewhere. Um, so that that's not such a blow. So that is one thing we've done. And when I did my interview with Natalie Taylor, um, a few weeks ago about, you know, budgeting and saving, and that was one of her tips as well. And and I think that could work no matter what kind of vacation or travel you were hoping for. It could be $10 a month or a hundred dollars a month that you're setting aside, but having, having it be separate and saving up. And I also think you could do that savings without having a specific vacation in mind. You just yeah. could be having it like the old, you know, the old jar that sits yeah, on yep. the counter and that you drop spare change into or whatever. And then it's for a someday vacation vacation. But for us, it's usually been for airline tickets, which are by far the most expensive. So that has, that makes sense. And and my family travel has mostly been car rides, mm-hmm. which gives you a lot more control, right? I mean, cause you don't have to go as far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just not as expensive. Um, eating out is probably has Very probably expensive. been more our expense that we really have to watch out for. I wonder for Kayla, um, if just the practice of setting a date for a quote unquote vacation and maybe adjusting expectations a little bit yeah. about what that entails. You know, the very first question we took from Jesse about creating your family culture around vacation, it kind of yeah. revealed that we all have this mental image of like, what is a vacation? Is it always Cabo on spring break? Yeah. Cause that's what you grew up with. So I almost feel like um, she and her husband and daughter would probably really enjoy, it could be a staycation. It could be, yep. so maybe it's as simple as requesting a couple of days off of work for her partner and having a modest savings goal and, and just doing something really small to kind of practice what that feels like. It sounds like they're really committed to paying down debt and living, you yep. know, really frugally. But I think like any financial decision, when you decide that it's a priority and that it's in the budget and that it's a value. I talked with Natalie Taylor. She talked a lot about, you know, budgeting according to your values. If, if a vacation once a year to take a break and hit pause on your busy work life is a value, then you just have to figure out how to make that happen. And I think it can be done fairly inexpensively. So almost, I feel like I would just advise like do a practice vacation, do something small that's achievable and see how it feels to save up a little bit of money, take a couple of days off of work and just do it. I love that. And also, I think that that what that really highlights for me is the first question to ask is, you know, what is it you want to get out of like, what is it you're like trying to achieve with this vacation? Because if you haven't gone anywhere in five years, maybe you just feel 
restless and trapped. Yeah. Is it warmth that you need? Like, <laughs> That's a good what, point. Is it relaxation? Is it a feeling of doing something with like your fa- little family unit, just the three of you that feels special? Like there's so many ways to scratch different itches. Um, if you know what the itch really is, yeah, you got to know where the itch is before you can scratch it. Right. I think so that's so good. That's a good place to start. And then the other thing I was going to say that ties in with what you were just saying, Sarah, is like, once you've kind of set that, like taken the days off, do some research, see what it is you actually need to do to, to achieve whatever that goal is, like whatever you're trying to achieve out of this. It's always amazing to me when I really get clear about what something, what I need to be able to do something, yeah. how, and you know, putting money aside for a year is great, but it's hard. Like if it's vague, it's really hard to get excited about it. Yeah, I agree. And there's always, if you're on a tight budget, something else will always come up to eat that money. But mm-hmm. if you know that in three months, you're going to spend $500 to go stay in a hotel for two nights near the beach, someplace that's within a drive and not too ridiculous. Let's just throw that out there. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting to see how more, much more deeply I can sacrifice if I see the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. going for, or I have a yard sale and, or I sell some stuff I mm-hmm. forgot that I had, or, um, someone works some overtime or I pick up some babysitting job, something like that. Like there's always a way to reach that short-term financial goal. Yeah. If you see it and you know exactly what it is. And I think that's, what's missing right now is that knowing exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah. And she asked yeah. at the end of her message, just, um, planning for the costs and stuff. And I think if you were starting small like this, you'd be able, they'd be fairly known. The bigger you get, the more those numbers get hard to plan for and the bigger yeah. your family gets. I mean, going out to eat is so different now than when we had one toddler, but I feel like, and, and you might even look at things like Great Wolf Lodge or some yeah. of these like all-inclusive type things where the costs, maybe it's not your dream vacation, but the costs might be more predictable. And if what you're looking yeah. for is something where it's not going to stress you out because unexpected, unexpected, this meal costs this much more than we thought and all that. And, and if the goal is to keep it really you know, right on budget, you could look at something like that, where you, the costs are pretty fixed. They're pretty predictable what you're going to spend. It's going to be this much gas to get there and this much a night. And you know, this little, and even something like we spent, um, a lot, we spent a lot of time at great wolf, great wolf lodges when my kids were little. And for all the reasons you just described, it was like the one place we could show up with our enormous family. (laughs) And if we were willing to not eat in the restaurant every night, which will kill you. Yeah. Um, and just go to our room, which is in the same building. Yeah. Like just walk up to our room and make a sandwich or order in pizza or whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be great. Wolf. it could be a hotel with a pool. Yeah. That just happens to be far enough away from you that you feel like you're getting, you're going somewhere. Um, there's so many ways to do it really inexpensively. So I, yeah, you, you need to know what you're, what you're getting yourself into before you can start planning. But then once you know, and make the plan, I think you can do it. I think you can do it too. Also, I have to say that I've never been to great wolf lodge. And I kind of missed, I mean, no, I think my kids would still really like it now, but I, I really want to go and I've heard they're really fun and I wish they Oh would. no, your kids are at the butter age right now. Yeah. Kids are the yeah. Best Cause no one would go. drown. And, right. um, <laughs> and they're all old enough to go on all the big things, okay. which you wouldn't want to go with Violet's personality. <laughs> I don't think you would want to go. She might still be a little too small for like the biggest, biggest one, but yeah. I think it would be There'd a real be bummer to take her at like three. Yeah. And she has to stay in the baby area the whole time. I just don't feel like that would fly with no, her. No, that would not fly with her. And but I, now it would be, and then now what would be great is Allegra would feel like so grown up yeah. to be able to take her like little sibling on the slide yeah. and you don't have to go on every single slide every single time, which is nice too. I really would like them to sponsor our podcast. So if anyone's listening, who works <laughs> anyone's right? a representative for Great Wolf Lodge, we did not plan this. I no, no, I really do want to go there for real. Okay. So Kayla, you will have to keep us posted about um, what you put together for a little vacation. Oh. You deserve one. 
Okay, we are going to wrap up and do our cue it up segment. And that is where we recommend something for you guys to listen to next. If you have been listening recently, you know, we've shifted gears from sending you back into our archives. And we are taking this chance to talk about some of our fellow podcasters and recommend a show you might like to listen to. So I'm excited because we're going to talk about Edit Your Life, which I know a lot of you already listen to. But next week, we are doing a host swap with Asha and Christine from the Edit Your Life show. So they've both been on our show as Voices guests before, actually Asha twice. And many of you are already listening to their show. But if you haven't, now would be a great time to check out Edit Your Life and subscribe because next week I will be on there talking with Christine about work from home productivity hacks. Love it. And then here on the Mom Hour, Asha is going to take my seat and you and Asha are going to be talking about siblings, bringing home a new sibling, and then how sibling dynamics change. I got to listen to that before the real world, and I thought it was such a good conversation. So you guys can find the Edit Your Life podcast at edityourlifeshow.com or wherever you listen to our show. Just look for theirs. And then keep listening all the way to the end of today's episode, and you'll hear a little more from Asha and Christine in their own words. Okay, well, thanks to everybody who sent in questions. We always love to hear your voices. So if you have a question for us, you can just record yourself talking if you'd like and email hello at the mom hour and then put listener question in the subject line. Or you can always record your voice easily from your computer or phone at speakpipe.com slash the mom hour. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Well, hello there. I'm Christine Coe. And I'm Asha Dornfest, and we're the hosts of the Edit Your Life Show, a podcast where we help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. We share practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. And we help you take action with doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Our show covers everything from parenting to food to work to home to self-care to finances to relationships our own conversations and experiences, as well as expert interviews. To learn more about our show, head to edityourlifeshow.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Edit Your Life Show, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E R I K A dot A P P, and use code The Mom Hour to save 20%. Megan, you know what I love about our partner, The Essential Calendar? I love the product so much, of course, but I also love that it comes from a small business founded by two moms. Right, just like us. Listeners, if you're drowning in details right now, like summer camps, travel plans, end of school year mayhem, give yourself the gift of the Essential Calendar, a seasonal at-a-glance poster-sized calendar for your wall. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour.